Thank you. We're going to look today in Luke, Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke chapter 2. If you'll turn over in your Bible to Luke chapter 2 and welcome you, uh, each of you here today. I trust that uh, you had a a great uh, Christmas day yesterday. Uh, It's interesting, each time we have our Christmas Eve service here, uh, we read Luke, Luke 2 and sing carols and look at Christ and his coming. But it's interesting because about the same time Forest Hills Gardens is having their the annual Christmas party. And uh, so Santa Claus is parked out front. And uh, there's these loud, uh, his loud sleigh and generator. And people are coming up and taking pictures of him. And, um, and so that was happening, was it Friday night? Uh, and people are kind of streaming all to Santa Claus and sing these secular songs about a reindeer. Um, and I'm sure uh, uh, a, a couple of Christmas carols, too. But, uh, but I find myself talking to the Lord uh, Friday night and apologizing uh, because of that for our community, right? Uh, that we have so many people going to talk about Rudolph and uh, these, these things that really don't exist. Uh, and this is on our calendar in our country in order to remember about about Jesus and his birth. And so I find myself praying that way. I find myself praying that way, visiting uh, the the uh, windows there in Rockefeller Center. I don't know how many of you saw that display at, um, which one is it? The, the big one on the, oh, not, the light show. Anybody remember? What's the department store there? Saks, yeah, yeah. Just really, you know, it's magnificent, right? And there's people everywhere. And I'm just like, Lord Jesus, this is all about you. Uh, and uh, others here may not know it, but, but we praise you for, uh, for the mark you've made here in our, our culture to this day. Um, but it also makes me start praying, Lord, uh, please, uh, please work in our community in such a way that, uh, that it will, we will have people streaming to church every Christmas Eve. And uh, have to turn people away, and Santa Claus will be like, hey, where is everybody? Um, and makes me also think that maybe next year we'll all meet down there and sing with everybody, then tell them to come up here and, uh, and enjoy worship of the Lord. So we'll have to try to do that next year at 8 p.m. and uh, see how the Lord uses that. Okay, Luke 2. Luke 2, I'm going to read, or let's read this together. We'll read uh, verses 36 to 38 uh, together, and then we'll jump into the text. Uh, We've been looking at Luke 2, uh, Brother Mookie, Brother Steve read Luke 2, 1 through 25, 24, I believe, no, 21, uh, Christmas Eve, and then there's a a couple verses there about Jesus' circumcision, and then we get into some verses about Simeon, we'll get to that in just a moment, and then we have this this appearance of Anna, all right, so that's the kind of the setting, and I'm going to describe a little bit of that context in a minute, Uh, but let's read together about Anna. Verse 36, would you read with me? And then we'll ask the Lord's blessing on the text to our soul, and then uh, we'll dive in there together. Let's all read together, starting at verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text and the example of Anna. We ask that you would prod us forward in our walk with you uh, by giving us this example We praise you that you are the kind of God, uh, that you are the only God, uh, but this is who you are, that you come to earth, that you even now bend your ear to hear us because of Jesus. Um, How um, proud, (laughs) arrogant, uh, hopeless to think you would ever hear us without Jesus. And so we come because of his name, because he has come. And we come to you because of him, because he is so great, because he is the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the wonderful Counselor who's brought us near, 
we come and we come with boldness. Uh, in, in humility, we bow before you in, in boldness, asking that you would receive honor and glory from these few minutes that we have together, asking that your spirit would move in each of our hearts, that he would fill me as a speaker and each of us as hearers uh, to understand these words more clearly and the purpose that you've breathed them out and then also that they would be a wind in our sails that would spur us along in Christ-likeness, in likeness to your Son. And so we ask for your blessing on this uh, by your grace and for your glory. Uh, we ask this. Uh, we pray uh, even for our folks who are, are traveling here, there, and everywhere, uh, Lord, that you would be with them. We pray for all the churches in this city, in New York City, that you would build them up today. And Lord Jesus, may you receive honor and glory and praise uh, today uh, because you deserve it. And we know you will have it. You have it in heaven and you will have it for eternity. And we pray that you would have it even in our uh, borough of Queens in our lifetime in such a way that people would be gathering uh, to celebrate you uh, all across this city each day. Uh, but especially on your day, your Lord's Day on Sunday. Uh, we pray uh, this again for the glory and honor and praise of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen. All right, very good. Well, let's jump in here together. Um, anybody know what this is from? This is, this is from the most popular PBS show. Uh, 20 years now, thousands of people will line up to get someone to estimate what their junk is worth, right? And so they may be carrying a pen or carrying a vase or carrying furniture um, or coins or some mem memorabilia, collector's item, to see how much it is valued. Oh, to get the story behind it maybe, but I think probably most of all to see how much this is worth. Um, and so things that have been ignored or left in the hallway or in a closet for sometimes generations come out and people realize, well, that is worth $10,000? Or perhaps it's something that everyone else passed over at a yard sale and you saw and you're like, I kind of like that painting and you brought it to your home and it's worth $30,000? This treasure that was discarded and overlooked becomes so valuable. Uh, it's a pretty cool show. I kind of like it. It's calming. puts me to sleep. But there are valuable treasures. The Bible is called the treasure, right? Treasures, gold. And, and I do feel like sometimes we read over some of these treasures kind of like that. And we don't give these gold nuggets the value they are worth. We don't really sink our teeth into them. Uh, and so we really need to pause each week and, and, and let us all examine them together. Uh, let us bring thousands of people together and, and air it on television so everyone can see what this valuable verse is worth to us. And I think the one that we have for us today is similar to that. It may be one that you've looked over your whole life. Or it may have looked over for generations in your household. Uh, and, and yet it is extremely valuable. I think there's a lesson here that really will motivate us and can change us eternally. It will really build up our church if we get a hold of it and get a hold of it correctly. Um, and, and so really uh, stay with me. I think the meaning of this text is so important to all of us today. And it is a nugget of gold. It is something the Lord, I pray, will use to build you up and to build me up. So we've looked at Luke 2. Uh, Christmas Eve. Um, this is actually kind of, as we look at Christ's birth, we're kind of going from one series to the next, right? We're finishing up Christ in the Old Testament, the Tanakh, that we've been considering since pretty much Thanksgiving. And then we're about to start this new series uh, of a survey of all four Gospels and try to do a synoptic view of all four of them together. Who is Jesus? From January 9th 
all the way to Easter, 15 Sundays, right? That's all we have. 15 Sundays, we're going to try to survey the life of Jesus. And so we have this Christmas time kind of, you know, as a, as a bridge from one to the other. And we'll recover some of that as we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as what they say about uh, Christmas there, January 9th. Um, but today, getting right into this one, right? It's hard to come up with texts. This is our 13th year, uh, our 13th year at Grace. Um, actually, we're moving into our 14th year, so probably a 14th Christmas messages. And we've handled all the texts, but we haven't handled this one very deeply. We looked at Simeon, but we haven't looked at Anna. So we're going to really take some time understanding Anna today. Uh, It's in a wonderful setting. So we're going to take a few minutes to look at verses 36, 26 to 36, to find out a wonderful setting. Uh, And that's the message to Simeon and really shows us where they are right now. So you can picture it. But then we really want to dive into verses 36, 37, and 38 and find this wise servant, this wise servant, Anna. So the wonderful setting, you have your notes in front of you. That would be page 7, page 7. I'm going to say a magnificent setting, Uh, a wonderful setting, a wise servant. Look at the overall, the overall timing. The overall timing, when eight days had passed before Jesus' circumcision, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. There's the circumcision. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, obeying the Bible. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So, there are several Old Testament occasions that mirror this, but this is probably talking the time of Jesus' dedication at the temple when they come and actually bring the sacrifice in his place. So, if you're taking notes, you would look at Leviticus 12, verse 6. When the days of a purifying are completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord to make atonement for her. So Jesus is probably at this point 40 days old. Uh, So seven times six is 36, so between six and seven weeks old. They come back to Jerusalem, and they are going to get ready to offer a... I'm sorry, 42. Yes, 35, 42. My math brain was also uh, going off. Um, Thank you. Uh, So between five and six weeks old, Jesus is coming to the temple for the dedication. For the dedication. This is kind of this scene here. Uh, This would be Herod's temple. Whoops. And you have this outer area is called the court of the... Gentiles, right. This is where, if you're not Jewish, you were allowed to go. This is what Jesus would always cleanse, because this is where the Jewish folks, the establishment, ruling establishment, would set up kind of the bazaar setting, meaning like this is where they're selling and trading goods. People are bartering. They're exchanging currency. And Jesus is like, no, this should be a place of prayer for all people. But this is the first time he's entered this place. So we're probably talking about either this courtyard or, number nine here, this would be the courtyard of the women. So women were allowed, Jewish women were allowed, past the Gentiles into this courtyard of women. I believe it's coming up these stairs into that entrance where this is happening, where everyone can see. And so here you see it. Exodus 13 describes where this comes from. This is actually a carryover from the from the Passover lamb being slain uh, because God delivered the, the children of Israel and, and saved and rescued the firstborn. The, pas- the Passover lamb was slain in the place of the firstborn. Remember that? He said, because of that, ever since that time, I want you to offer up a, fir- a lamb in the place of your firstborn son. And so here they are coming. They're not wealthy enough. Mary and Joseph are not wealthy enough to own a lamb or to to buy a lamb. So the law allowed them to bring uh, birds instead. 
And so we see a little bit of their economic condition of this young couple as they come to, to obey Scripture as dedicating their son, Yeshua, in the temple. And, and there's so many parallels and shadows going on here. Um, and we'll see that in her name. Her name is... Okay, I can't get ahead of myself. Anyway, but this is the fascinating thing. Here's Jesus being dedicated in the temple, and you find at this point the shadow of the temple meeting the substance, the reality, for the first time. And you find God at the same place where his son will be beaten. His own earthly parents are dedicating him uh, as a lamb. Really, well, we keep moving here. Um, the specific scene you have is Simeon. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation. This is a phrase that keeps coming up, looking for the consolation of Israel. Messiah, bringing in this prince of peace, kicking Rome in the teeth and giving our freedom back. This is what they're after, right? And the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon because... It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Right? Whenever you read Christ, it's just the, the term Messiah. A wise man's waiting. And then you find verses 27 following a wise man's worship. Right? Verse 27 there of Luke 2. He came in the Spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, he took him up into his arms. What is Mary thinking? Who is this old man taking my baby? Took him up into his arms. But she had seen him every year, probably several times a year. Took him up into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to die, to depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your consolation, your salvation, your redemption, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. And that's why I think he's, he's overlooking the court of the Gentiles, because they keep talking about the Gentiles here. A light of revelation to the Gentiles, and yet the glory of your people Israel. Amazing, worshipful phrase. And the wise man's warning. He's, he's picking up baby Jesus Right, five weeks old, and, and, and Jesus can't even, like, is so young, can't even really grab this. You picture an old Orthodox Jewish man. That's what you're picturing here. Can't even grab onto his beard. And, and his, his eyes, so joyful and triumphant, looks down at Mary, and they turn wet with tears. Because he knows, seeing the future, you find this wise man's warning. The father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel for a sign to be opposed. A sword will pierce into your soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Here at a spot where Jesus will be pierced with thorns, he talks about Mary being pierced to her soul before he will be dragged out and crucified. But here is the spot where he will be beaten. Move on to the wise servant. Uh, we could take time with that. I did look at that. Actually, 2017 is where we spent a lot more time with that, if you want to look that up. But let's move into Anna now. At this time, in the same exact time, okay? So this is a dramatic scene. Mary and Joseph are astounded. The temple, they're gathering. People are gathering around. What is? Who, they know Simeon is a prophet. He is saying that this baby is the consolation. This is the Messiah? And then as this elderly lady hears that over here, she starts stumbling over, making her way over carefully and slowly, and she adds to the prophetic word about this baby. And so we find this wise servant of Hannah. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, advanced in years, and she goes up 
Verse 38, very moment, at the very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Fascinating scene here. Uh, let's look at just these three verses. Verse 36 gives her situation in life. Verse 37, her service. And verse 38, her speech. Okay, so let's look first of all at her situation in life. Let's learn a little bit about Anna. This is the first time and the only time she comes up in your Bible. Uh, as an aside, this is what I love about the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke was a doctor. He was also something of a historian. And he tried to be very careful with all the details. Now, not that the others didn't. The Holy Spirit were breathing them all out. But Mark was a young man, a little impetuous. His Greek was, was very simple. And he just told the story really fast. Luke took time. He went and talked to all the eyewitnesses he could find, and many of them were women. And so these other men perhaps did not interview the ladies, but we find that Luke went and interviewed many women and heard their stories. Listen to Mary. Anna was probably dead by then, but he heard all these stories probably from the mouth of Jesus' mother, Mary. So, that would have stuck into Mary's mind as she's treasuring these things in her heart. And now the Holy Spirit breathes through Luke this original scene. We find out about Anna. Her situa situation in life, her name is Anna. That's the name Hannah. All right, so this is your, your normal name, Hannah. Uh, you know the story of Hannah. We're not going to go into those details. I don't know there's a huge amount of significance to it. But you do know that a big scene in Hannah's life in 1 Samuel 2 is her dedicating her son Samuel to the Lord. Okay, so that's fascinating. Um, so just as Hannah dedicated her son to the Lord in the temp temple, so right, Mary's coming and Hannah meets her. What's her occupation? Her occupation is uh, that she is a prophetess. So this is Anna, daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Uh, she's a prophetess. Very interesting, right? Uh, she speaks God's words to others. She shares messages from the Lord to people. Uh, we find many prophets in the Bible, right? Especially in the Old Testament, uh, where God's words were not as well known and people could not read. Uh, this was, was not common, but you read of many prophets in the thousands of years of the Old Testament. Uh, and so they are forthtelling, but... Sometimes foretelling the future as they foretell words straight from God. Uh, some of them were speaking forth words that had already been written by God. Uh, we read of many prophets in the Bible, but also ladies who are prophetesses. Uh, Miriam and Deborah are two well-known prophetesses. Exodus 15.20, Deborah Judges 4.4. But you may not have heard of these uh, if you're looking for a baby name, uh, Hadola, I'm sorry, Hulda, H-U-L-D-A-H, Hulda, right? Second Kings 22, 14, Noadiah, Nehemiah 6, 14, as well as Isaiah's wife in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3. All of these ladies are spoken of as prophetesses in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, as we turn the the, uh, from the silent years in between the Testaments, we do also find some prophetesses. Uh, here we have Anna spoken of as a prophetess. In Revelation, Revelation 2.22 speaks of a prophetess uh, whose name is Jezebel. This is a false prophetess. Um, and he, Jesus is confronting the church in Thyatira for putting up with uh, this false teaching in some of their circles. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible talks about many men and women who speak forth the gospel through God's Spirit to all those in Jerusalem. Young, old, probably men, women, speaking the gospel to their friends and neighbors thousands at a time. Uh, the Holy Spirit enables them to do this. Peter says that that's a fulfillment of Joel. And Joel speaks of this. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. 
And so the Spirit will be poured out in that way. Uh, We find that similar thing here, not just after Jesus' resurrection, but here at his birth, a very old man and a very old woman who are prophets speaking forth words for God are sharing this glorious news. As the New Testament continues, we find less and less of this occurring. Uh, The Spirit continues to reveal God's mind through human agency in Scripture. Uh, And these begin to be uh, examined and shared from this place to this place and the other place. I think we do have uh, this case in all throughout that early church, people who are sharing uh, God's words in this way. I think even to this day, as now some people agree to disagree on this, but even as we share the Bible to other people, we, we are doing the work of a prophet. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're a prophet or a prophetess, but I do feel like some people are, are unusually equipped to share God's word with their friends and neighbors. Now, we're all required to do that. So you can't say, well, God didn't give me that gift, so I'm not going to do it. Um, I I personally believe that this as a gift uh, phased out as Scripture, the the perfect revelation of Scripture was complete uh, in John. I do know this, that we need to be careful to never say that what someone speaks forth is new Scripture, right? We would all agree with that. That someone can't say, oh, I've added to the Bible because God gave me new revelation. That becomes false teaching. If someone claims new revelation in the sense this is new scripture, then we just say, okay, you can write that down for yourself. Uh, This Bible says don't add to these words. All right, so let's be careful that the climax of all of this is Jesus. Jesus, the revelation of Jesus. We can't go into that any further. Uh, but we'll just leave it there at that point. If you have questions about that, talk to me. But we do know that this is Anna the prophetess. Uh, advanced in years. It doesn't go... It's interesting. That's what's interesting perhaps to people in churches today. But this is not what he deals with. The nugget of truth is not Anna's role there. The nugget of truth comes in her ministry. So she's a prophetess, Anna. What does he tell us about her? Primarily, what he focuses on her is her age and her service. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, had lived with her husband seven years. Okay, so in that day, you got married at 14, 15, lived till she's in her early 20s, and then her husband dies. Usually, a young lady would remarry at that point. The text is a little ambiguous here. You actually, a a direct reading of the Greek reads as though after that she lived another 84 years as a widow serving the Lord to where she would be about 105 at this point. But you could read it to where she was a widow up to the age 84, and that's the way most translations take this, that she's about 84. But either way, whether you're 84 or 106, this is still an elderly lady who's been spending 60 years plus doing this every day. And that's the point. Here is a faithful lady. Yes, she's sharing to people about Jesus as they come in the temple. But also, she is daily, not serving in that way. What is she serving? What is her service? Never left the temple serving night and day with Fasting and prayers. This is Anna's ministry. Right? This, is, this is where God used her the most. That every day for decades, this faithful lady was coming into the temple and praying for her city. Every day, she was coming into the temple praying for her city. This was her service. The Bible really highlights this uh, for men, but also uh, for ladies. The church has loved these ladies who would do this. 1 Timothy, taking notes, 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 through 16, describes the church actually paying for widows who are willing to do this with their life. Uh, that, That they would actually be put on a list to be provided for because they're going to continually give their life 
in piety in this way. I'll let you read that. That's 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 through 16. Let me just read two verses, okay? Uh, A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, so she has to be elderly. Having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, if she has devoted herself to every good work, the church is supposed to find those ladies, put them on a list, and full-time pay them to serve the Lord, to provide for them, to provide for them, is really what it's talking about. That same passage, 1 Timothy, it does talk about the church also paying for a pastor, teacher, uh, to give himself full time to being labor hard at the word and prayer. Um, But it doesn't discount the necessity, and as we'll see, I think the most important, the more important role of all of God's people praying, talking to God in the ministry of prayer. And so, yes, Zechariah, the priest, is really used of God in the temple in John chapter 1. But I wonder if he maybe even used Anna more in Luke chapter 2. Because often the greatest things God is doing is behind the scenes. I know it's true in churches. The, The strongest churches are the ones that have Anna's praying. In fact... History teaches us, as this text teaches us, that when God does very big things, spiritual things, in cultures and communities, he starts it behind the scenes with people that may never be known by name. Praying. Sometimes for decades. Here's Anna, an amazing example of prayer, right? Um, She shows great perseverance in prayer, She's praying all the time, right? Uh, Serving night and day. She never left the temple. There's a perseverance there to continually. I think that we we find her uh, with urgency praying in her fasting. Her fasting is not to twist God's hand, but there's an urgent heart here that continues to remain steadfast in prayer. And his focus is on that she's been doing this, and that's the point of her being old point is that she's continued to do this to the Lord, fasting and prayer. She prayed continually. She prayed consistently before the Lord. And that is where the work is done. Um, Spurgeon was showing a few young men around this church before a service uh, it was in the summer, and he said, Gentlemen, can I, can I show you what the Lord's doing here? He says, Let me show you the heating plant of this church. And they weren't interested in that. Uh, he said, Well, let me show you. They didn't want to offend him, so they follow him. And he takes him down the stairway. This is right before a service. He quietly opened a door, and he whispered, This is our heating plant. Uh, the su- students were surprised to see 700 people bowed in prayer, below where others would be gathering to hear preaching. Those 700 people were praying. You think, well, Spurgeon was a great orator. And he is. We read his, his sermons to this day. I do. Um, great orator? No. He was. But who cares about that? Honestly, there's so many people who can speak. Right? There's so many. Like There are just billions, I of very gifted orators. The Bible doesn't need orators. God doesn't need orators. You know who he uses? He uses that heating room. He uses God's people praying faithfully. Um, and, and so, yeah, First Timothy talks about the man who is going to devote himself uh, to, to preaching, but he also encourages the church to be finding ladies Men, in fact, what does he tell, tell the old men in First Timothy 2? I want the older men to be praying. That's what he says. The church should be organized this way. Um, Pentecost began in a prayer meeting. And since that point, the outpouring of God's unusual works of grace in regeneration are always preceded that way. 
without an exception. God's works of grace began with Anna. Means grace. They began with, with Anna's praying. Anna's ministry often is overlooked because it's not seen, and we are a selfie generation. If I can't tell everybody what I'm doing, if I can't get recognition, I'm not doing it. Well, let me tell you this. God sees it. God sees your ministry of prayer. And our church will be built and strong if we are praying. And no one else may know of that ministry. But I guarantee you there, are, there were thousands of Spurgeons just as gifted. But only one had 700 people praying. And God hears that. I've shared this. D.L. Moody's talking about preaching in England on vacation. He didn't want to preach. His buddy rooked him into it. Shared the gospel Sunday morning dead. Totally dead. Came back the next night. That night, shared the gospel again. 400 people added to the membership of the church. A local church revival. Hundreds of people responded to hear Christ. He found out where the, where the power was done. It was a little Marion Aldered. He was bedridden. Couldn't even come to church. Heard about God using Moody preaching in the U.S. and started praying that he would send, her, send him to England. Um, that Sunday morning when she heard that Moody preached at her church, he's like, my prayers are answered. Gave the afternoon to prayer. God heard Marianne Adler's prayers. Right, so the books are written about Moody. But I think when we go to heaven, we won't see Spurgeon. We won't see Moody. I don't know. I don't know. We're going to see Jesus, most of all. And this is like people talk about this. There, there may be some sense of understanding what, how the Lord used people on earth uh, as we move into the next life. I don't know. But I do. If we do know, we will know that the most work was done by God's faithful people in prayer. It has to start with the pastor. Yeah, the pastor has to be praying, has to be walking with the Lord. But it, that's, that's, not, that's just where it starts. The people, all of us, have to be praying. This is a ministry for all of us at Grace. The name Hannah, that's our church. We need to be praying. We need to be a, a Hannah church, an Anna church. God has done this ever since. And this is the amazing thing. Um, this is the gold nugget. Look at the text. She's praying every day, every night, consistently, consistently. Send your Messiah. Send your Messiah. Deliver us. Deliver us. Deliver us. She never gave up for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Continued to pray. Persistently and look at what she says there, verse 38. We're going to get to a moment. That moment she gave thanks to God. You know what? Her prayers were answered. And I realize there's some mystery here. But for, in, in one sense, what this is telling us is that Jesus came as Messiah at that point. You know why? Because Anna prayed. That is the, the miraculous mystery of prayer. I understand that God sovereignly planned the, the birth of Jesus for the perfect time in human history. But you know what? In another sense, if you look at from the temple, Jesus came at that point in answer to Anna's prayer. Because Anna didn't give up. Because Anna kept praying and kept praying and kept praying and kept praying consistently, every day, all day, praying. And God said, yes. Anna, I'm sending Messiah. Isn't that amazing? This is what the text is telling us. The text is telling us she prayed, she prayed, she prayed her whole life, and God wanted everyone to know that her prayers were answered. God showed two people in that point that Messiah had come to the temple, and those two people were two elderly people who gave their lives to praying 
and sharing the word. Don't give up praying. And this is why I say, this is why I say, keep praying that all of Queens will come to know Jesus. Right? That's the kind of thing we want. But it's going to be all of us praying, 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 asking. Don't just say, Lord, please do it. Please do it. Please do it. Pray on. Fanny Crosby said, pray on. Pray on, believing ones. God's promised word is sure that they shall overcome by faith who to the end endure. Pray on, pray on, O weary not, the cross with patience bear, and though its burden weighs us down, the Lord will answer prayer. God answered Anna's prayer. In his amazing sovereign will, he, he intertwines that with the passion of his people to pray, and he gloriously shows those who are praying. And, and again, this is his work his eternal plan of salvation, and yet it bends in answer to Anna's prayer. Why hasn't God saved everyone in Forest Hills, Kew Gardens, Rego Park, Briarwood, Queens? Well, have we prayed for decades yet? No, we haven't. And so we keep praying and we keep praying and we keep praying. God, God the big things God does spiritually, he begins behind closed doors. I think this is the problem with American Christianity because a lot of people don't like doing things unless they're seen. Right? We're all that generation. Uh, look at me generation. Uh, but I think what God's doing here is special at our church. God is raising up people who are ready, ready to not be seen because they're seen by God. And they know that, that as God answers their prayers, their heart overflows. God did that. He brought that person I've been praying for. My seven potted plants, and now four of them are coming to the Lord's table with me. These begin behind closed doors as heaven bows down. And this is the glory, the glory goes to God. This is the kind of God we, are, we, have, we serve. He listens to your prayers. An amazing, glorious God is shown in the incarnation here. Okay, we need to just, just move on. I'm going to, I'm just going to encourage you to pray this way. I would encourage you to pray each Saturday night into Sunday. Even come early here and pray. Pray that the Lord will use the preaching of his word. And honestly, I don't care who's preaching. It doesn't really matter a whole lot. I, I, get, I give my life to trying to preach, right? And I love it. But it really doesn't matter, right? We could have Asher come up and preach next week. And if we are all praying, God would use his voice just as much as mine. Right, or Pastor Andrew, or Brother Mookie, it does, that, that's not the issue. The issue is, are we praying for God to, to use this as an altar for his spirit to work with the power of his word? Church I was ordained at, um, Pastor Mark Minnick uh, often shared the testimony of Mrs. Boyd. Mrs. Boyd was the founding pastor's wife. He died, and she continued to live as a widow in the church, serving the Lord night and day with her prayers. She would often share uh, the words of God with people in the congregation, especially with, with uh, wives of men who are training for ministry. Um, but she stayed on, and she, she prayed and she prayed. As she passed away, one of Pastor Minnick's great challenges was for everyone in the church to try somehow to make up the gap that was felt, was felt because she was no longer praying for that church. Let me just encourage you. What, what if you were no longer at this church? Right? We would miss you, seeing you, but would we sense we had lost a pillar of prayer? I don't know how many pillars of prayer we have. It starts now. It starts now with saying, I'm going to keep praying for God to work in my neighborhood in a special way. And please pray for our church in that way. God loves to honor the prayers of his faithful people. Let's quickly move on to her speech and we'll be done here. Um, at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks. That's the amazing thing. Because this is what she's saying. All of my prayers have finally been answered. God heard and he answered this prayer. She kept seeking and the Lord allowed her to find. He encourages us because he is a great God who will listen to us. He encourages us to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking.
right? For that individual that you're praying for, for that situation that is burdening your heart, right? The answer comes on our knees. And then she goes from a speech of thanks to a speech of Christ. She continued to speak of Christ, right? So she, she uh, thanks God, and then she continues to speak of him. Uh, her, her ministry was, can you, this is what God's doing. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what God's doing. Let me tell you what God's doing. And you can see her go to that couple, that couple, that couple, that couple. There had been a group of people who had been praying for Jerusalem to be rescued through the Messiah. And so she continued to speak of him, to speak of redemption, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so there's this group, and they're asking God to bring Messiah, to deliver Israel. And, and with this baby, they have the answer to their prayers. Luke one seventy four. Zacharias prays this, to grant to us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. There's this idea of rescue. Simeon has just said this, right? Simeon, looking for the consolation of Israel, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so here is the consolation of Israel, the one who will bring eternal peace on earth and will give all the nations uh, that run against God their due, even our nation, if we do not follow God's ways. And this is clear all throughout the Bible. Um, we do not turn to Christ. Um, but there is a time where this Jesus will come again. And maybe that's what we start praying for. Um, this Jesus will come again. And he will bring peace on earth. He will do away with all disease. He will do away with all sin. And his royal messianic kingdom will be brought to earth. The consolation. But this, at this point, there is this fulfillment spiritually of consolation, not just of the world's angst, but the world's angst with God uh, through our Lord Jesus. As Jesus is offering himself as the Passover lamb. Um, the next time he's in Jerusalem, or the last time he's in Jerusalem, he's going to say, uh, no longer are you looking at the first Passover you're looking at the new covenant, the one that's not a lamb, but the covenant of my blood. And he's going to pour out his blood, and he's going to make peace between us and God. And this is the message of Jesus. But I think the message for us today is that we should be people who are coming to this great God and seeing him work in unusual ways. Um, that's what we want. Yes, Receive Christ as your Savior, uh, consolation for your soul, uh, freedom from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and eternally the presence of sin. But let's all follow Anna to him, and let's make much of him to others. But let's receive this amazing gift of grace, the name of our church, that, that God would listen to our prayers. And let's start asking him consistently. Right, if you can, on Wednesday night via Zoom. Um, but each day, all of us talking to the Lord, asking him to work in our neighborhood. Asking him to save everyone in Kew Gardens, everyone in Briarwood, everyone in Rigo Park, everyone in Queens. Um, asking him to draw people to himself in a special way like that. About 20 years ago, I met a, a lady named Dr. Lyons. Uh, she was an... She was an interesting figure, to say the least. She had devoted herself. Actually, her and her husband had devoted themselves to this ministry in Brooklyn, Sheepshead Bay area of Brooklyn, of full-time talking to people about Jesus, especially Jewish people. She was so burdened for Jewish people. When her husband died, she continued to do that every day, almost all day, talking to people, from person to person. Those of you who grew up in Brooklyn may have seen her. By the time I met her, she was, a, was an elderly lady, probably around 84. Um, Dr. Lyons gave her life for decades sharing the gospel on the streets, speaking about Jesus. I met her at Bethel Baptist, our mother church, there in Brooklyn uh, with Pastor Jim Bickle. 
What was interesting is one of their first services toward the end of the day, as they had wrapped up, just a few people there at their second service, um, she stood up and she looked at Pastor Jim Bickle and she said, you are the answer to my prayers. For decades, I've been praying for a church here. Right? She knew that God had called her to share the words, but God hadn't called her to be a pastor teacher. Right? She knew her Bible. So she had been praying for someone to come, for someone to come, for someone to come, to pastor a church there. She looked and said, you are the answer to my prayers. I kind of wonder when we get to heaven, how much of that church and its light in Brooklyn will be from the people who are sharing the gospel like Pastor Bickle, but how much because Dr. Lyons for years and years and years roamed those streets praying, Lord, send a church here, start a church here, talking to Jewish people, talking to Gentile people, speaking the words of Christ. I wonder how much of our church she prayed for that church to start churches in other Jewish areas like Forest Hills. We don't know how much God has done through the faithful prayers of his people behind closed doors. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's pray. Enter into this wonderful privilege. The first prayer that you will pray that's heard by God is the prayer of grace through the gospel. Of course, God hears everything. But the first prayer that he will hear of you as a child will be the one that births you into his, his, his family. When you say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is the person who is justified, declared right with God. And I would encourage you to pray that even now. This gift of eternal life through Jesus comes because you ask. It's a gift that needs to be received. And so I would encourage you, even in this closing moment, to receive that gift of eternal life. But I just want to appeal to our church folks uh, who are children of God uh, to make Anna's ministry your ministry. Say, well, I, I can't be, I can't pray. It's hard. It's hard. I know. It's not easy. No one's going to pat you on the back and say, thank you for spending that half hour in prayer today. But we need it. Our church needs it. In order for God to work in our church in a special way, in our community in a special way, we need, we need at, least, at least 10 pillars like this. At least. And I know we have some. We're say, Tim... By God's grace, Hannah, right? The name Anna, grace. I'm, I'm going to come before God in prayer each day for this church and its light. And, and for eternity, no one, no one may know on this side of eternity, this ministry I'm going to have, but I'm going to take it upon myself today. Would you, would you do that? I pray that God, by his spirit, will give us a heart for this, the heart of Anna, consistently praying. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's all talk to the Lord about that. If you'd like to pray, I'll be standing in the back lobby in a moment. We'll close in prayer. But let's all respond to this message from these, these few verses in prayer.